I get to say good morning. If I didn't get a chance earlier to see you or speak to you, I, I want to say good morning. Thank you for being with us as we worship God together. And thank you for giving me an opportunity for the next few minutes uh, to share with you um, um, the Word of God and uh, to invite you to look in your Bible and examine the things that you hear me say. Uh, this is the standard of authority. It's not the speaker. It's not this church. Uh, it's God as He reveals Himself in the Bible. That is the standard of authority for everything that we say or do. So you examine what you hear me say uh, and examine it in light of the Bible. If you have any questions, they are most welcome. If you have any disagreements, they are most welcome. Uh, we, want, we want to best understand the Word of God. And when we do, then our responsibility, each of us, will be what are we going to do with that? How, how will we respond to what we know now comes from God? And, and that's where God wants us to be. That's, that's exactly where we should be. So I hope I can contribute uh, some in that <clears throat> with this lesson. <clears throat> I mentioned during the Bible class time that starting tomorrow night, uh, really these lessons and tomorrow night, are following a theme that I'm calling, Okay, God, I've got questions. And it is imagining that in the midst of all that's going on in your world and in my world, all around us, there are people who have lots of questions. And we're going to try to let God, through the Bible, answer some of them. So tomorrow night, what am I supposed to see here? What's going on? What am I supposed to see? Tuesday night, where's all this going to end? Where is this going? And Wednesday night, is there any solid ground anywhere? Is there light at the end of this tunnel? What's, is there any hope to be found in, in, a, in a confusing and disappointing world in which we live? So those are the three areas that we'll be studying. Uh, they are, these lessons reflect my sincere and prayerful effort to listen to people who are outside of a close relationship with God, listen to their questions, and then let God, through the Bible, answer them. So, in light of that, I would like to very much encourage you to tell your friends, co-workers, your family, any other people that might be interested and willing to listen. That's all we ask. Will you listen? Will you think about it? And I'm, I'm hopeful that these lessons really will connect in meaningful ways with the kind of questions that lots of people have today. So you can help these efforts and um, God's hope and plans for other people by just telling people what we're doing <clears throat> and inviting them to come and to join us. <clears throat> well, I, I know that March of 2020 is fast becoming a thing of the past for us. There is so much that's happening, so many worries and concerns that seem rapidly to be piling on one another that it might be or eventually will be 
kind of hard to remember what it was like. But I want to tell you for just a, just take just a moment of your time to tell you what it was like in Newcastle, Indiana in March of 2020. And I say that not because there is anything special, but in hopes that it will be some version of your experience too. On March the 13th, a Friday night, my wife and I were in, uh, in Georgia for a wedding. And after the wedding, she got eaten up by mosquitoes. And we went to get some alcohol in a drugstore to put on the mosquito bite so that she could get a good night's sleep. There was no alcohol to be found. In that drugstore, in the next drugstore, in the next drugstore. We thought, what in the world's going on? No, no alcohol could be found. And then I got a phone call from home in Newcastle <clears throat> telling about these the news around that the virus was spreading and that churches were called upon to close their doors for a two-week period of time so that we can flatten the curve. And then if you really do love your neighbor and you really want to save their life, then you as a church will close your doors for at least two week period of time. And so after the news began to surface and we began to have some sense of what's going on, then Kim and I drove as fast as we could to get back home. While all of this, the big news was we're still trying to make sense of what's going on. And so over the next two weeks, a nearly unthinkable thing happened in Newcastle, Indiana. For decades, for generations, we had heard in countries all around the world of governments that force Christians to close their doors that persecute Christians, that drag them off to prison, that kill them. We heard stories about how that has happened in the past. And we tried to prepare ourselves if something like that would ever happen in our country. But in our wildest dreams, we never would have ever imagined that the doors to a church building would be closed by the leaders of that very congregation. And that's exactly what happened. So in our case, for two weeks, for two weeks, there were no assemblies of Christians. The kind of taking the Lord's Supper and the singing and the things that we just did, they, they did not happen. And during that period of time, we had to learn about social distancing. What's that? Wearing masks. What's that all about? Where do you get them? What's, what are the rules here? All, all, all the stuff you're very familiar with. We wrestled with all of that. Even, even meetings of the, of the church and the elders that oversee the church in Newcastle, that all had to be done differently. We had tape along the pews and distances between the pews and how's the Lord's Supper going to be we, we met outside 
I preached from the back of a pickup truck. And people had their cars parked around. And we tried to do that for a while eventually. And then we became, then we came inside. And that, how do we have an assembly? How do we take the Lord's Supper? How do we give? How do we do these things? Elders had meetings. Where do we meet? Do we wear masks or not? How far apart are we supposed to sit? And, and so it was not long before we were all saying we are living in unprecedented times. I would ask the oldest people I knew, has anything like this ever happened? And none of them had experienced anything like that. And so it wasn't, it wasn't long before I was saying, too, what unprecedented times we live in. And I found that eventually, whether it was me doing the speaking and using language like that, or somebody else doing that, I realized what began to happen. We felt like we were living in times facing challenges that nobody else had faced. And it was kind of lonely and confusing, or the, the decisions that we made, good or bad, they, it's kind of like you couldn't question them. Because these are unprecedented times, you know. And so how can you be critical of what people are trying to do in unprecedented times? Until I began asking different questions. Are we the first generation of Christians to be challenged when it comes to facing outside pressures that are unknown to us and that challenge us? Are we the first generation to have to ask questions about how we worship? Are we the first eldership to ever be challenged with difficult decisions about how churches are supposed to work? Really, are we unfamiliar with challenges like this to Christians and to our, to our own faith? And when those kind of questions were asked, the answer was different. And it was very helpful. No, we're not. This is a different kind of challenge. It has a different face to it. It asks different questions. And, okay, all that. But basically, our faith is being tested. Do you know how to respond when your faith is being tested? If you're a Christian and have been a Christian very long, the answer to that question is, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You hunker down. You dig in. You pray more fervently. You study the Bible more carefully. You find yourself more dependent, more often, on the God who will lead you through. You've been there before, and you'll be there again. And you know what? That's where we are right now. And it was not very helpful to think that we're living in unprecedented times. Now, they different faces, but the same kind of challenges. And it is that theme that I want to explore now in the book of Psalms. As we let the psalm writers show us some things about the time in which they lived. And it shines light on our time in a very helpful way. 
And I, I just would like to ask you to open your Bibles, if they're not already open to the book of Psalms, to please do so, and you can turn them in just a moment. We'll begin in Psalm 12. Psalm 12. David, as I mentioned in the Bible class time, David is described in the New Testament and the Old as a man after God's own heart. And I wanted that kind of description to be true of me. And it drew me to read more carefully the book of Psalms. What is it? This is a, the book, this is a book that is a window into the life of a man who God says, that man is a man after my own heart. Okay? What is this man like? I want to know. I want to take notes. And I would like to be that kind of man myself. Second thing that I noticed about the book of Psalms is that this man who was a man after God's own heart, he knew more about struggle and despair and failure and confusion and uncertainty than I did. In the midst of COVID, or whatever you call the aftermath of COVID, whatever we are going through now, whatever you call that, the writer of the Psalms knew more about that kind of thing than I did. He saw it more clearly, and his response is very clearly described in the book of Psalms. And so this man after God's own heart, who knew all about the struggles of life, come together to be an invitation to read and listen and think about what's there. David lived a thousand years before Jesus was born. As a young man, we are kind of introduced to David through the famous story of David and Goliath. So here is a very young man who knew early on in his life the thrill of victory or the thrill that comes when you exercise your faith and you run against the enemy. Watch what God can do. David and Goliath. The, the, the story that introduces us to this young man. When he, became, when he was 40 years old, the Bible tells us, he became king. But the first, about the first 10 years of his life, he spent running for his life. Running from King Saul, the previous king, who was set on destroying him, destroying David, and would hunt him like an animal. And that went on, that kind of life went on, not for two weeks to flatten the curve, not for three years or four years. That kind of suffering and fear and running for your life went on for at least ten of his years. Ten years of living like that. When he was appointed as king, he had battles to fight. And so war and bloodshed were his experience. Now, if you know, if you have lived long enough to know the pain of unfulfilled dreams, I want to talk about that. 
If you know, if you have wishes, and if you kind of hoped that your life would turn out differently, then either it is turning out or it looks like it's going to turn out. And that's hard and that hurts. If you know what that's like, I want to tell you something about David. That is exactly what he went through. He was king of Israel. He wanted to build a temple to God, to honor God. He wanted to do that, but was told by God, you can't. Your hands are covered in blood. You'll not not be one who is going to be able to build the temple. And so he had to be content with putting some materials together and plans together, but turning the work and the ultimate reality over to somebody else, to Solomon. He wished his life would have turned out better. Oh, that's not all. That's not all. He faced temptation. He he faced and yielded to lust. He He did things that he never saw coming. He did things that he never would have believed that a man like David, that that he would ever do. He committed adultery. He had relations with another man's wife. And then had that husband killed to cover it all up. And that legacy, that, that tragedy in his life stayed with him and it is what is recorded about David in the New Testament. It was not only a regretful, regrettable experience in his life, but it's one that that was the David, the one who committed adultery with Bathsheba description that stayed with him. Wow. In spite of the sorrows expressed in Psalm 51 that we tried to introduce just a little bit ago. His child died. His child died after he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. That that wouldn't happen. And that God would spare that child's life. And the answer to those prayers was no. And David had to bury his child. I'm not real comfortable even talking about this because of the kind of pain that goes with something like that. That's what happened to David. Not only that, Before his life was over, he buried three of his children. Three of his children. And one of those boys, he spent 11 years anguishing over, trying to fix things and help help this boy turn out right. There was trouble and trials and difficulties all over. Absalom was his name. And David's relationship with Absalom brought great headache and heartache before he too buried his son. And it was this man, from this background, 
that is the author of about half of the Psalms. Now in Psalm 12 and verse number 1, we'll read the very first verse and the very last verse of this Psalm. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from the sons of men. Do you you know how this feels? (laughs) Have you ever thought that you're, you're drifting into a time where there are fewer and fewer people who really care about God. They're following their own path. And it's an increasingly difficult world to live in when a greater majority of those people know nothing about how to live from the God who made them. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. That was, that's not a, we're not special. We're not living in an unprecedented time. That's happened before. David's talking about him right here. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. That's exactly how he felt. That's exactly what he saw going on in the time in which he lived. And then verse 8. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. What happens when ungodliness and evil, things that are clearly wrong, aren't called wrong anymore. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to think that. Okay. What happens when that mandate is successful? What happens? Okay. Vileness is exalted. Among the sons of men. That's what it said. What happens? The first part of that verse. The wicked strut about on every side. So proud. So self-assured. No fear anyway. Anywhere. That's what happens. The wicked strut about on every side. When vileness is exalted among the sons of men. How hard is it for you to be a Christian? How lonely do you sometimes feel? Well, whatever the answer to that kind of question, be careful. You're not... I grew up watching a TV show called The Lone Ranger. He rode a white horse. And the phrase, the Lone Ranger came to describe somebody who was out there all by themselves trying to hold up for what's right in this world. Don't feel like you're the Lone Ranger. That nobody else really sees things like you're supposed to and does things like... It's not like that. You're not living in unprecedented times. Ah, it's happened before. Psalm 12 reminds us of that. That's just the beginning. Look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25 and verse number 16. Verse number 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many. And they hate me without, with, with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. 
Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Do those, those sentiments sound ring a bell? Do they sound familiar to you? They sure do to me. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. There is distress and affliction and trouble. The need for forgiveness of sins. What I want to be able to say with this lesson and through the book of Psalms is the things that are happening in our troubled time and unsettled world, the things that are going on that challenge your faith. And and if it feels like the rock on which you have been standing is crumbling and shaky, you're not the first... We're not the first to be there. And we, and it's good to know that. And furthermore, we are told how to handle such times. What are we supposed to do? And watch what happens as we, as we listen to these psalms. Look at Psalm 43 and verse number 5. Psalm 43, verse number 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This in the world of Phil Morgan, this was the psalm that helped me get my begin to get my balance. Through all the turmoil and trouble and confusion and uncertainty of the past several years. Listen to the, verse three, the first three verses of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. Though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. So here you go. Got to remember something. God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in our trouble. God is not in retreat. He has not been defeated. He rules over all things and He knows and He cares. And it is your job and mine to remember who God is. Therefore, verse 2 says, We will not fear, though the earth should change. Wow! What a great help that passage has been to me. And then one last one in this connection, Psalm 82 and verse number 5. Psalm 82, verse number 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And then the last verse of that psalm too. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you 
who possesses all the nations. Sometimes it's hard to see through the clutter. Sometimes it's difficult to see through the fog. Okay. But we're not the first generation, we're not the first people to have difficulty seeing through the fog. Not at all. It's right here. We're we're, we're reading the words of fellow strugglers. So what are we supposed to do? How do we handle this? Well, it's very, very important that we know we are not the first to feel like the earth is changing under our feet. Okay, so now what do you do? You remember who rules over the nations of this world. God's ruling. God's in charge. And so live your life knowing that don't forget the God you have come to know. Don't forget Him. Your faith is being tested. Okay. So our faith is tested. It's time to show up. It's time to show up. What do you believe? What do you know to be true about God? Then you need to live like that. You need to pray like that. Conduct your life. Life and death met with faith in a God like that. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. Now let's go to the New Testament for just a moment. We're going to leave the book of Psalms and go to the New Testament and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. um, A familiar passage to some in this audience, I think. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So the promise here is really important. Whether whether you're living at a difficult time, as you reflect on your life, your losses, your pain, the latest Report from the doctor is it brings tragedy into your world. Whether you've lost your job or your retirement, or whatever the whatever the whatever the trials are. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, ten verse thirteen says, "They those trials are among the mix of trials that are shared by everybody." You don't have the same employer that I have. You don't live in the same mailing address that I live. Okay. But but the, the problems and the challenges, they're all the same. They have different phases. They manifest themselves in different ways. But they're the same thing. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to men. Shared by mankind. And God is faithful. You can count on Him. He's not going to disappoint. He's not going to let you down. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Let me pause there for a moment. For you to be tempted and it be so hard you don't think you can handle it. You are that far from giving up. You need to know 
that God knows you can't handle this. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Not going to allow that. He may tempt you. He may allow the temptations to come that challenge you to a limit you've never experienced before. Okay. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle that? Throw in the towel and give up? Feel like you're out there all by yourself and nobody really understands how hard it is, how great your loss, how deep your pain. Uh, nobody else out there is going to sit down there and just stay there. Or are you going to rise with the kind of faith that has characterized God's people through all generations? Remember who God is. Trust Him. And rise. And rise to live a life of faith in God. So, it is helpful and it's important that we know that whatever twists and turns and pains and losses characterize our journey... They are the same that have characterized the journeys of others. It puts us in the right place and it prepares us to receive the right kind of counsel and respond in a positive way to do what we ought to do in the midst of our trial. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here Jesus is being described to us as our, our high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and he does so because he has been tempted in every way that we have and has overcome. And the one who has overcome has stepped into your world and to mine and offered his hand and says, I understand and I want to help you. You're not going, you're not going through this by yourself. I understand and I'll help you. Now how can we give up? How can we wallow in self-pity? When the one who understands and can help us extends his hand. <clears throat> Imagine somebody shows up at a college dormitory. Your freshman year in college. And they show up and they boast that they are the strongest man in all of the dormitory. And to prove it, they will challenge anybody who would like to an arm wrestling match. And so one self-confident young man after another stands up and arm wrestles this guy. And every one of them is defeated. Until... At last, one man comes forward, young man comes forward, he rolls up his sleeve, puts his elbow on the table, and takes this guy down and defeats him. Now, of all the people who arm wrestled this boastful young man, which of those people knew or knows how strong this boastful young man really is? 
Who knows how strong he is? It's not the ones who were defeated. They knew he was strong, but they didn't know how strong he was because they were defeated some measure less than how strong this man. The only one who knows how strong this young man really is is the one who has experienced the full measure of that young man's strength and has defeated him. And so the one who knows the full measure of Satan's power and his wickedness and his deception is the one who has faced and overcome at every trial what Satan has tried to do. And and the only one who has never been defeated and in fact has defeated the devil is Jesus Christ, the one who says in this passage, I am your high priest. I understand. I know how strong that enemy is. I have faced him. I have been tempted in every way like you are. I sympathize with your weaknesses. And I, Jesus said, offer to help you in your time of need. So this beware of self-pity, beware of convincing, trying to convince yourself that you are living in unprecedented times, facing unprecedented trials and unprecedented experience. Nobody can really understand. Nobody has ever gone through this before. In fact, I'd like to sit down some time and think about where that kind of thinking is going to take somebody. If you and I really believe that about ourselves and our experience in this life, where does that take us? What kind of person do we become? I don't have the full measure of the answer of that. I've started thinking some about that. And it takes us to a very dark place. And it's a dark place because it is so contrary to what the Bible teaches. The book of Psalms tells us people have gone before us with grief and loss far beyond what we've experienced. And Jesus promises us, there'll be no temptation greater than you can bear. There's a way of escape. And there's a helper who offers with a sympathetic heart to help you in your time of need. Rise to time for faith. To time to live by the with the faith in the God that you have in the past professed that you had. To time to live that way. One other passage, and then I'll stop, is First Timothy chapter one and verse number twelve. First Timothy chapter one and verse twelve. Paul the apostle says, "I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service." Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Verse 16. Yet for this reason I found mercy. So that in me, 
as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Okay, so, why would unbelievers need Paul's example? Well, uh, there would come a time when there would be a whole lot of people who said, I have, I have done so many wrong things in my life. It is just, just, it's just not possible to be a Christian. I am so far away from God. There's just not, there's no hope for me. I'm just so far away. There's just no way I could ever be the kind of man or woman, boy or girl, that God wants me to be. That the God of the Bible anticipated a time and and lots of people who would think just like that. That they're kind of... They're living, they're just kind of out there in a, in, a, in a place that is just beyond hope. I'm glad you all can be Christians. I'm glad you live in hope. I'm glad, I'm glad for all the good things God's doing to you. But it's just, it's just not for me. It can't be for me. You know, they live in unprecedented times. They're, they're living an unprecedented life. Happy for others to be a Christian, but nah, it just can't be that way for me. It's the same problem. But it's addressed in this very passage. And here's what it says. The one who was the foremost of all sinners. Saul of Tarsus, foremost of all. That person has already been saved. That person has already come to experience the grace and the mercy and the faith and love and perfect patience of a God who loves us all. Conclusion. If that's what can happen to the one who is farthest away from God and God's love and grace that anyone could ever be, he was the foremost of all sinners. And if that could happen, those good things could happen to that man, Don't you dare think that it cannot be the way your life ends up or mine too. We're not not living out there in some out-of-the-way, remote, hopeless condition. No. God loves us and wants to show the mercy and faith and love and grace and perfect patience that He showed to the chief of sinners. He wants to show that to you too. So whether we're dealing with you know, the aftermath of COVID and all that stuff, or whatever's going on right now, or whatever's happening in your life in your world. Whatever that is. I'm not, I'm not underestimating it. In, tra- in fact, it is just the opposite. I may be talking to people who are sitting on the very brink. You don't know whether you can make it or not. Okay. It's happened before. It's happened lots of times. And it's a good thing for you to hear that. And it's a good thing for me to hear that. Puts us in perspective. Puts us where we're supposed to be. Okay. You come off the cliff. You come off the edge. 
Okay, it's happened before. Well, then how am I supposed to handle this? There you go. And, and there is the introduction to a God of love and patience and power. The one who rules over all things loves you. He has saved the chief of sinners and he sure wants to save you. The grace and love of God is for you. There is solid ground on which to build your life. There is hope that nobody can take away. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We'll talk some more about that over the next few days. But that's exactly the truth. And, of course, the invitation from God is to come to the Savior for forgiveness and love and mercy and let Him have His way, His saving way, His cleansing ways. Let Him have His way in your life. And then join up with a team of other people who are trying to do the same thing, who come from the same kind of experiences. As we try, with all of our heart, to live for the God who loves us, to live for the God who loves us, and to show every day in our lives our faith in Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be a part of a team that's going to help us do that every day we live. If, if we can help you this morning, if I'm talking to some people who are kind of on the outside of all the things that you've been hearing me talk about, okay, well, guess what? I know what that's like, and everybody else in here does too. If it is your desire to know more about this, so that your faith in God and faith in Jesus can really stand on solid ground. God's not calling us to pipe dreams and to wishful, silly thinking about divine things. He's, he's calling upon us to stand on solid ground. And if you'd like to know more about that, let, let me, let some of us here know. And we'd be glad to talk to you. We've traveled that journey. And if you know that... Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but you've not, not come to Him to let Him cleanse you and, and make things right again. Then we hope this morning we can encourage you to do that. With faith in Jesus, confess what you believe about Him, turn from sins in the past, and be baptized, your spiritual burial in water, in which you are raised up to walk a new life. Your sins are forgiven, you start over again as a child that belongs to God. Wow. It's a great thing. And if along that way, if along that path you've lost your way, that same, that God's not abandoning you. He calls you back home. If we can help you in any way to leave this morning being who you ought to be in the sight of God, let us know while we stand to sing this invitation song.